The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live here at youtube.com slash cover three. Thanks to all of you that are watching later or listening later on whatever platform you might be on. And for those of you in the chat, uh, continue to keep the conversation going. Of course, no shortage of topics as we gathered here today on a very, very busy Monday in college football. The good news is we're just so we're just we're really doing a good job of looking into the crystal ball and being able to uh, to get you locked and loaded with what we think is going to happen as we got a chance in our Sunday show to touch on Brent Venables to Oklahoma, news that was confirmed late Sunday night. Uh, Manny Diaz out, Mario Cristobal in at Miami, news that was confirmed about midday on Monday. Uh, so I think that I would like to begin uh, with the way that it all unfolded First, Manny Diaz finds out uh, or finds out that he is not going to be the head coach of the Hurricanes moving forward. Mario Cristobal holds a team meeting, informs them of the news as well. We are at a position that a lot of us predicted was possible, but boy, it was messy getting here. Uh, so I don't know if the process seemed to to get y'all um, upset or if you have any strong feelings or if that's just what happens when you get billionaire boosters involved and you don't have an athletic director to wrangle them. I don't know. You know, or the hire itself, you know, what's really lingering to you as some of the big headlines and takeaways from Manny out, Mario in, all at Miami? I I think everybody did what they had to do, right? I saw all these people saying, oh, Manny Diaz should quit out of pride. Miami's doing him wrong. Like Don Draper said, that's what the money's for. Manny Diaz is not an idiot, so he's not going to quit and pass on an $8 million buyout. He's just going to keep recruiting and doing his job if until the point Miami fires him and strokes him a check for $8 million. That, that was annoying me yesterday on Twitter. Like, oh, how embarrassing. And Gene Chizik's all out there like, like he didn't live that buyout life from Auburn. Like Gene Chizik didn't quit. Man, he just wasn't Where, where did Gene Chizik say that? Don't tell on, me on, Gene Chizik. On, on, on Twitter, yeah. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> Talking about how, how like Miami's doing him wrong. And this is very embarrassing and mm. uh, that they need to sit him down and either, either keep him or fire him. Like, what, what what's the rush? You, you got a lot of balls in the air. You're trying to juggle here. You have a, a head coaching candidate that 
it's pretty clear certain boosters were going to donate a lot more money if it's him and probably not if it wasn't. And you're trying to get an athletic director hired at the same time. Ultimately, this worked out great for Miami. If Oregon has any sense, it knew this was going down for several weeks. We've been talking about it in our group chat and even on this show, like Chris Ball's going to Miami, right? And it became pretty clear, I don't know, 10 minutes that he was. <laughs> Half time of the Pac-12 championship. Like my, Miami's coaches thought they were getting fired uh, after the Duke game. We knew that going in. So it's just the business. I do think that the one thing Miami could have done better, but of course it's hard to do when you don't have anybody actually in charge, is you could have kept the entire process out of the public eye. Oh, it was leaky. Like, I mean, everybody knew every single thing that was happening about this. Like you said, we've been talking about it for a month. If if everybody knows for a month that this is going to happen, you're doing a terrible job of making it happen. Like, do it behind the scenes. Be stealthy. Show some competence. A lot of these leaks, though, were coming from people who were cut out of the process, right? Like, I don't think that New Mexico State's AD was seriously considered. Jurich, from what I understand, tried to go around Turnkey. And Turnkey was like, nah, that's the search firm that Miami was using. I think a lot of the people who would have been included in this process for Miami in previous years were cut out. And they were leaking nonsense that other sites ran with that, like, Manny Diaz is is, going to be kept. And shout out to our David Lake for for staying in the process of 24-7 sports the entire time. Just nailing it nice and calm. Hey, guys, this is a complicated process. It's going to take time. Manny Diaz is the target. They do believe they're going to have a whole lot more money than they normally have to spend here. They'll give them a crazy salary pool. They're going to go after a big-time AD and pay him a lot of money. Miami's actually going to pay up. Check, 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 check. Shout out, David. Really good job. Didn't fall for the fakery out there like Manny Diaz is being retained and all that nonsense. I think there's a lot of – and just going back to Gene Chizik and, you know, hey, Miami should have done this. There's a whole lot of things that should be done the right way. But that's all off the table when you're dealing with the type of money that's at stake right now, right? And Brian Kelly can get criticized. It was funny because I did Coach K's show on SiriusXM Beyond Basketball with Coach K. And it was great. And we were talking about Brian Kelly. A couple of things were really funny. One, he goes, man, I wish somebody had $100 million lined up for me somewhere. And I was like... Didn't the Lakers? Exactly. (laughs) I wanted to say that. Or I was like, if you want to come out of retirement, somebody probably would. And then we were talking about Brian Kelly. And he was like, I just can't see myself doing that to my team. He's like, but I'm not criticizing him. He was very careful not to criticize another coach in the fraternity. And I, I think it's the same. Like, yeah, I think Miami, the right thing to do would have been tell Manny, go ahead and get another job. Like, that would have been the right thing. But nobody does the right thing anymore. Everybody does what's best for you, and they were protecting their behind just in case something happened. And the deal with Mar- uh, Mario fell through, and they're looking at all these options. They had a fallback plan in place. And as Bud said, that's what the money's for. So all of these, there is a way to do things the right way, but nobody does it anymore. So it's kind of a free-for-all, and everybody's looking out for themselves, which – that's the environment we, we live in. And no other job that Manny could get is going to have the cash to pay an $8 million buyout, given his results. Like, that's just not going to happen. Like, they, they could have tipped him off. But I'm pretty sure Manny's agent is a sharp guy and knew this was going to go down. Like, if he could land another job, he would have had one lined up today. So do you think, because I feel like you're saying it's a good hire. I'm a C-plus hire. Yes. You know where I'm going with it. Yes. <laughs> so let me ask you something. 
Let me ask. I would push back a little bit. Maybe this is because of the obnoxious Miami fans that I'm friends with and are like all the same thing when they said Ja'Cory Harris was going to win multiple Heismans. Like I'm getting that type of vibe from them. I'm like, slow down a little bit. Let's make sure this is the right. Like, let's see how this works. Do you think Mario has – because I'm always partial. You guys know when when you hear me talk about coaches, I appreciate a guy um, like David Cutcliffe who has done more with less. Do you think Mario Cristobal did more with less at Oregon or did he do less with more based on the talent he was given? He did not set a new ceiling. I think that he delivered on a pretty comfortable floor. Like Mark Helfrich was falling short of the floor, which is why they had to get him out. You know, they go for Willie Tiger. It doesn't stand long enough to even have a good analysis of what his job was, promote Cristobal. And I think that Cristobal showed that there's a there's a high floor at Oregon, not when you're operating at peak efficiency, but when you're operating at like average efficiency. I would agree with that. However, recruiting is more important than coaching if you're trying to chase the top prizes in the sport. If you want to be a Gary Patterson at TCU or, you know, uh, not Narduzzi, but um, D'Antoni at, at at Michigan State, if Pat you're trying Fitzgerald. to Pat Fitzgerald, right? You can coach your way to a nice year. You cannot win the big prizes if you do not have an elite recruiter as a head coach. Cristobal is that. He's going to focus on recruiting. He's a resource hound, just like a Saban is. I'm not saying he's Nick Saban. Don't misquote me on that. But like from that aspect, I'm saying he's, so. he's going to want <laughs> <laughs> he's going to want more and more and more, you know, resource wise. And I think he will absolutely crush it down there recruiting. I, I, will I think he crush? Will he crush it? As yeah, a coach? I think I think they will be in the ACC title game 50 percent of the time after year two. See, he, he will keep that talent home. Here's the thing, like I agree with you. You have to be a great recruiter if you want to compete for national titles. The problem is once you get to that level and you start competing against those other teams that have just as much talent as you do, the coaching aspect comes kind of important. And when I look at what Oregon's done in the biggest games that they've had, and I also look at like look what Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich were able to do with Marcus Mariota. Mar- Mario had a what a top NFL quarterback on his roster in Justin Herbert. And a lot of talent, more talent than everybody else in the Pac-12 at the time. And he won a couple conference championships, but he couldn't get through the entire season and get to the playoff. And to me, I'm not saying he's not going to fail at Miami. I think it's good. I think he's going to do an excellent job of recruiting. I think there's a chance Miami could be good in the next few years. I don't know if I'm going to go with the whole going to be in the ACC title game every other year, but... I just I do have some questions about that that I think it's going to need to be addressed. And I think offensively, that's one thing, too, that I would concern about, because like if you look at the offensive hires he's made, I I think Joe Moorhead was a good hire. And I'm not really sure I'm willing to put what happened with that offense on Moorhead as much as I am with the quarterback situation and having a QB who wasn't really as willing to go downfield when it was there. But there was also a coach who was choosing to go with that QB over other options that possibly could have. So to me, that's going to be a giant impediment for this hire. It's like, yeah, he's going to recruit well, but when it comes down to facing the top teams in the ACC or maybe getting to the playoff, I'm not sure. I think that Miami is going to very quickly win Coastal Division titles, compete for ACC championships. My big question is whether all this investment means that's not enough. Whether Mario Cristobal could lead Miami to uh, places where they're winning the division with consistency when they're showing up in the ACC championship, heck maybe even winning a one out of every four or five. But if 
Mario Cristobal cannot start competing for national championships. Do you think he's falling short of expectations from the the people that are powering this investment? Yeah. The one thing here, yeah, I I do, but the one thing here is like he's personal friends or like related to by marriage with some of these billionaires pumping money into the program. So I think he's going to get the leeway that another coach wouldn't get. I also don't think Miami would have had the investment. They could talk about the money from U Health, which I fully believe is real. But the other guys investing are this are are not guys that I believe would have invested in Miami had it not been Mario. Mm-hmm. Which is and that may be the best part of all of this. If if he actually gets support the way these other coaches who have been there did not get support. Like I as a Florida State guy, I'm like, keep firing him every three or four years. You know, that that help gives us a leg up. Um, I do think too, it's gonna be interesting to see what they think is support financially compared to what Florida, Georgia, LSU, Bama, like that's the stratosphere they want to be in. Are they going to be able to compete with those schools recruiting-wise? Well, I did see Georgia, especially Bama, like whether it's NIL or whether it's back, I don't even know how to describe it, but if it's above board or below board, are they going to be willing to go toe-to-toe with those schools and can they get away with it? That's the question to me. If you look at what they did at Oregon, yes. There's a reason other other folks in that league really hated what they were doing. They're very aggressive in that way on the recruiting trail. I think that they are ahead of the curve. I think they're ahead of Florida and Florida State already, even under many, with NIL deals. Like they, they interpreted the state law differently and got a head start on it and, and basically made made the Gators and Knowles uh play catch up there. Florida's at, you know, kind of started catch up. I don't think Florida State's really doing a damn thing in that yet. Um, you know, I, I think he it's an interesting question. I had a we talked about this a little bit with USC. How much can you afford to pay your off-field guys? You know, Danny, you live down there. If if you make, you know, 70k in Tallahassee or Athens or Tuscaloosa, you can live pretty solidly, especially if you're like a single dude. But what happens if you want to get a guy in his early 30s who's who's got a wife or you know got a wife and kids? Where where are you living on 70k that's anywhere close to Coral Gables? You got to live up in like what well into Broward, right? Yeah. You're, you're driving 90 minutes to work. I think that's impacted them in recent years. Like the quality of off-field people they can hire has not been up to the same quality that you can get at some of these places. So you can be all, hey, look at the city of Miami. Yeah, that comes with a lot with some expenses. It, it's, But I don't think Cristobal would have taken this job had they not assured him of that. And We already saw reports today they will have the number one mm-hmm. assistant salary pool in the ACC. Mm, well, so, Jim I mean, Brady? That might have just happened after Clemson was able to cut that check to Venables. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have to pay a DC two mil, that's. Um, do you? I mean, I I have no idea. Like, I'm not on the assistant coaching carousel. I just I don't have the brain space right now. I'm already starting to crunch college basketball numbers over here. Um, net oh, it's transitioning. I know, I know, I know. Um, but what is the what are assistant hires that you would consider wins? Like what are like names that could potentially be in the mix to receive these big checks? Do you look at the saving tree for this? Uh, this is an area of concern, I think. Right? He kept Marcus Arroyo. I think that was a poor decision. Um, they, they really wasted Justin Herbert. Uh, I, you know, defensively, I think he downgraded after they lost Avalos to Boise State. Um, you know, and. Obviously, you know, Levitt bounced because Levitt thought he was getting that Oregon job, from what I understand, when it went to Cristobal. Um, their defense was not as good this year. If you look at it, I mean, Manny was 
Manny's Miami team on the power ratings this year was basically within like a point or two of Oregon. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a concern. Now, Oregon had some injury issues this year, but I don't know who you go get, Chip. It's going to be interesting. Like, how, what does his coaching tree look like independent of, of saving in those guys? Because his track record of hiring so far has not been perfect. Not that anybody's is, but it, it's really not. It's not really a positive for him so far, I think. I would think you go shopping. I think he's trying to take a best available type approach. Like, hey, like everyone around here is excited that I'm here. I've got all this money to spend on assistance. Do you want to be a part of, and you just sort of sell the same dream you're selling on the recruiting trail to try and get people to come and work for you? Just for the sake of my own interest, if he doesn't get the job in Virginia, I'd go after Robert and I. Mm. Is he in the mix for Virginia? I don't, I don't think know. he's going to get that. I don't think yeah, he's I was going gonna to say it feels like, like they're going to go in a different direction, but yeah, if he becomes Dexter, a, Elliot, yeah. Yeah, if he becomes not Jeff if he's, Grimes, man. I'm telling you what he's done with Baylor and what he did with Blake Shapin and that championship game putting him in good spots. I would wait. I mean, yeah. if you if you're Jeff Grimes, you might get think, that Baylor yeah. job in January yeah. if, if Chip Kelly goes to Oregon cuz like all my other group texts with the guys in the recruiting world, they they think Iran is going to take UCLA. Oh, sorry. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. So, We're two steps ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, like, if you're Jeff Grimes, don't take Virginia if you can get Baylor, right? Man, yeah. I love the Cover Three podcast being two steps ahead of the cycle. We're just, we, we already have the analysis uh, from, from the future. Do you think there's any chance he would take the Oregon job if Chip stays at UCLA? Maybe. I don't understand. Is Dave Aranda, are we only going like upbringing family connections where he's from to say that UCLA would be more of a draw than Oregon? I just think the Pac-12 in general is more of a draw to him. I think he's happy at Baylor, and I don't think he's going to look to leave for another P5 program unless it's out west. So the which advances the conversation about what Oregon does now. Um, I guess the, the the basic list of candidates is going to include Justin Wilcox from Cal. Maybe Brian Harson. Maybe this is where he goes back to land. Um, what are, What are some of the names that you all think that we should be paying attention to? And Chip Kelly, obviously yeah. the the one we just mentioned. And Lane. You really think so? I do. Ooh, see really? that makes that makes sense to me. A lot more yeah. than it does a couple of the other jobs I've heard Lane mentioned for. Have you guys yeah. found any uh, any news that Ole Miss was able to increase that buyout? With that extension, because uh, yeah, I looked, everyone. And looked, and there's a lot yeah. of salary numbers floating out there. He got a lot more salary. I want to know how much more buyout Lane Kiffin has now at Ole Miss. Um, how much better can you do at Ole Miss than you? Did I think this you. Year? T- I think you're. If you're smart, you bounce right now if yep. you're Lane. You I, take I advantage agree. of the teams that were down <laughs> again. LSU was down. Auburn was down. Texas A&M was eight and four again. Like Bama was even gettable, and you couldn't get them. Like I think you saw that. Like you're pretty much tapped. I think you check, you cash out that one more time if you can. Also, you can never overlook the lane troll factor. And like you, you, you know, the old Miss job was partially intriguing because it meant he got to go against Alabama every single season. You go to Oregon, you get to go against USC. <laughs> Yeah. So, but but what about the in in the Chip Kelly world? UCLA is not going to be as attractive as Oregon is to Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin would rather be at Ole Miss than UCLA. I would think Ooh. so. <laughs> what if he really wanted to be a if troll? He really, right really wants to do it. Then you go to Westwood. But I I think that in general, I view if 
if Chip Kelly had to kick and scream for his million dollar meal table and then yeah, got roasted for it by the local than. columnists, I think that you know Oregon maybe, but uh, I, I don't think that UCLA would be able to woo him uh, out of Oxford, a place where I maintain if Lane wants to, he could stay for a long time, winning eight, nine, ten games with the Rebels. You know, even in the expanded SEC, I think that's still a team that can get eight and four, nine and three. With some consistency. And not if they go to a nine-game schedule, though. True. But one thing we should also consider, too, is like in the expanded playoff world, 10 wins might get you into the playoff. Like if there was a 12-team playoff this year, Ole Miss is probably in it. Okay, so I I do want to ask you guys a question because I I know I have my own thoughts on this. But how good of a job is Oregon? Because the last two coaches they've had there that have had any success bounced for jobs in Florida. And you might say that's a real indicator, like, how hard it is to get players to Eugene. However, both those coaches had moms who were sick back yeah. in the state of Florida. Like Willie, Willie's mom, you know, w- w- was older and had some health stuff going on. So does Mario's, and they're obviously from Florida. And I'm going to tie this in Lane Kiffin because Lane Kiffin's not from Florida, but he's got a lot of Florida connections. Obviously, his dad was the DC for the Bucks. It was very well known that he wanted the Florida job. They they, they hired Napier, wouldn't touch him. Um, I th- think it was pretty well floated out there that he would take the Miami job if they would offer it to him. Like, do you guys see Oregon as like a top 20 type job or a top 30 type job or, or even better than that? Or, or uh, and do you factor in lanes Florida ties if you go after him? I think top 10 for sure. Or not top 10, 10 top, job? top 20. Sorry. Oh, okay. I think it's, I mean, I, I think you can get closer to the 15 than the 20. I like what you mentioned. Like if you look at Oregon's last few coaches, Chip Kelly left for an NFL job. Mark Halfridge got fired. Willie Taggart went back to Florida State. His mother was sick. He's from the area of Florida State. It was like a literal like dream job. Right. Mario Cristobal goes back to Miami. His mother is sick. Miami's where he went to school. It's his alma mater. I don't think if I'm Oregon, I'm worried about the next coach leaving just because they have Florida ties. I think that Oregon is a place where you can compete for national titles. And there aren't a lot of those jobs around. Oregon's been to the college football playoff. USC hasn't. You know what I mean? So... I think that with the financial backing that you have there with Nike, you can win national titles because yeah, there's not, you know, it's, it might be harder to get guys to Oregon from California, but Chip Kelly didn't really have any problem pulling guys from California, Texas up to Eugene when things were rolling. And I don't think if you get things rolling there, you're going to have much of a problem because it is a big brand. It is in the PAC 12. And if it's competing for PAC 12 titles and it's in the playoff getting regularly, like I think Lane Kiffin would be able to recruit to Oregon pretty well. I was going to make a, a joke about how, how new money Oregon was, and that they they stroked a check for for the uh, Willie Lyles recruiting service. You know, like <laughs> they're just kind of r- rookie mistakes there when, when you first started getting the recruiting game. But so much of this is about timing. Like Chip Kelly timed it perfectly, wasn't that when USC was coming off the Pete Carroll? Like soon after that, if I'm right. I think weren't they going through a little downturn and then he like catches it perfectly. Then they have the uniforms and they have the up-tempo system, things that nobody had. And he was really able to capitalize on that. Now everybody has both. So do you really have that significant edge at all? I still, I I think it's a top 20 job. I just, I don't know if it's, I think it's a 10 win job since 2005, four different coaches have won 10 games there. Multiple coaches have shown they can win 10 games. I also think it's one of the, two best jobs in a in a power five conference like if you could break it down that way would you rather be at the number eight job in the in the sec or the number two job in the pac 12 all right let's play a game for sure or it depends on situation 
which of these jobs would you take for sure over Oregon? Like regardless of what your personal situation is and which ones are kind of like more personal backyard dependent. Bam, is it for sure? Yeah. 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 LSU is it for sure? Yes. Yep. George is it for sure? Yes. Yep. Florida is it for sure? No. No. What? Why? Because the, the ability like, to get players? The royalty winning national titles? Pay? The royalty. Yeah, it's like back to Tom's top two job in a power five conference. It's like if if you're also, in Florida, you're you are you are a duke in the royal family. Like you ain't the king, you ain't the prince. Yeah. You know, you you're you're down there in the pecking order. And I think that yeah, you're a little but bit in the Pac twelve, you got one king and everybody else is pawns. But that king has there is no real second place if, if USC's right. That oh, I think Oregon's dead. a nice prince. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I mean, USC's role in Oregon gets stomped. No, it doesn't. But well, maybe no, my opinion's right. wrong on that. But but it's I I think that that's a debate. How about that personal opinion? Okay, you know, that's you know, that's right. It is. I mean, when right, Alabama's when Alabama's rolling, Georgia gets stomped. When Alabama's rolling, LSU gets stomped. That doesn't stop LSU and Georgia from being great jobs. And I look at Florida, and yeah, it's in Florida, and there's a lot of talent. But you know who recruits Florida? Everybody. And you're also one of a number of power five schools within your own state. It's a whole hell of a lot of competition for those players. So hell, Oregon's recruited Florida. So it's not like anybody can't just go in there and get players if they really try hard. Yeah. I, I, okay. Um, Anyways, let's keep going. More. Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't. <laughs> All right. Ohio State for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Michigan for sure. Yeah. Penn State for sure or personal preference? Personal preference. Wisconsin. Don't you think that's like a level comp? <clears throat> Penn that's State? what I'm saying. Personal preference. Yeah. 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 Personal. Sure. I, I think that's fair because you do have to fight Ohio State just mm -hmm. like Oregon has to fight USC. Wisconsin? I'd rather have Oregon. Oh, Miami? Sure. I'd rather preference. have Oregon. If Miami's spending money? I'd rather have Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> I'd rather have Miami if Miami's going to spend. I think I'd rather have Miami. Hey, hey, listen. I know we've got it now, but we also have to see it to believe it. And we also have to see how it's going to go in terms of the execution here because. It, you know, this is the experience that tons of Power Five programs, no, excuse me, not tons, because not tons are able to generate this kind of money like this. But like Alabama knows what it's like when the boosters pull money and then the boosters pick the replacement. Mm -hmm. Like this, this, Miami just finally has the coordination or at least enough big money donors that it can also do the same thing. But now that means they also are going to have some say, right? I mean, if you pick the coach, you might have some opinions on all kinds of things. And that's going to be on the next athletic director and the other power players to be able to play that out in execution. Uh, I think I think at Oregon the machines, uh, the it, the setup Keep feel happy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Washington, Oregon, Oregon. But I think it's close. I'll say personal for Oregon. Yeah, well, I, Washington pays its, its support staff better. I'm sure it's. And I, and I'd rather, rather live in. Seattle. In, so that's the thing. I, I love Seattle. I like Eugene. I don't know. I like them both. I it. I, I'd probably put them on the same level. Yeah. Uh, USC. Obviously, USC. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, the good note from uh, from Coca here uh, since 2000, Oregon has more 10 win seasons than USC does. Yeah, but I think that goes with the issues that they've had to deal with. Yeah, well, the hardest wins to get are 11 and 12 and 13. You know, <laughs> um, but they've had a couple of those too. To be fair, uh, let's see: Texas, Texas A&M slam dunks, Oklahoma slam dunk. I Texas. Uh... I think I'd rather have Oregon than Texas. And I I can't I can't no. say this. Dude, okay. you, hey, what were we just no talking right about? What were we just talking about with Miami? You want to go to Texas? <laughs> like it's literally 50 people who think they're your boss. Texas okay. just announced that they are paying every offensive lineman on scholarship $50,000 a year. And soon they're going to think they're year. my boss too. 
that's pretty like that's that's a pretty nice advantage there in recruiting. Yeah. Um, it's going to be great. Other schools $10,000 a win. Is that how they calculate? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> that's the other thing too, because now like both of those jobs are in the sec West. So now I'm back in a situation where I could be at the second best school in the pac 12, or I could be somewhere between fifth and eighth in any given season in the sec. Clemson or Oregon. If the money's the same, give me Oregon. Clemson, because they because they funnel no. all their money to football. They don't give a damn about other sports at all. Um, hey, my nephew plays hoops at Clemson. Watch it. Okay, well, <laughs> well, how much is he getting paid? Yeah, <laughs> not as. Do they drop the bag? Not as much as DJ. That's for sure. Um, elsewhere in the, like Florida State, probably personal preference. Recently, it's definitely Oregon, given the administrative stuff. Are we missing anybody here? Maybe the ch- Notre, Notre Dame. I'd rather have Notre Dame. I'd rather have Notre Dame. We've positioned them between 15 and 20. Yeah. You know, maybe when things are humming, you get up there close to 10, but you're not hitting five. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so all right, we've got the uh we've got those pieces. Oh, wait, go ahead. What? I was just gonna make a joke. Colorado State or Nevada. <laughs> Jay Norvell. He um I think did it's I have it? Did I have it right that his base salary at Nevada was like six hundo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he wasn't getting paid a ton of money. And I also think that I think Colorado State's easier to win at. And also with Carson Strong about to go to the NFL, like I felt like if you're Jay Norvell, if you're good, if you're looking to get out of Nevada, this was probably the time to do it. Hey, it's all about that Bud Elliott window. As soon as is even if even if he wasn't able to level it up to the point where he was getting one of these power five jobs, he was at least going to get a better paycheck. Mm-hmm. At least going to go to somewhere like Colorado State where they'll they'll spend a little bit of money on uh, on their football coach and on their football staff. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to Norman, Oklahoma, where Brent Venables was introduced as the new head coach of the Sooners. That and look at the bowl schedule, Tom Fernelli has spent so many hours breaking this thing down. So he is going to let you know the best bowl games when they are so you can set aside time throughout your holiday season. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I promise we didn't make Danny Cannell leave just because uh, we're talking about non-football uh, sports at Clemson. Uh, he's uh, He is traveling for, uh, I believe, some CBS Sports Network stuff. He will also be part of our expanded coverage of Army-Navy while we 
here at youtube.com slash cover three, we'll be doing the Army Navy watch party. So Brent Venables, Oklahoma, made official on Sunday evening. We spent some time Sunday afternoon discussing it, figuring that he was going to be probably close. You know, we got the term leading candidate, closing in on a deal, should be finalized soon. You know, anything you can do to just load up that SEO machine and uh, get the searches going. But uh, it was official. He gave a, an impassioned sort of like win the press conference type moment. Um, Brent Venables at Oklahoma is, uh, I, I'll let y'all get first word here because I've got uh, a couple of thoughts, but first for Clemson, uh, also for Oklahoma, but what's really standing out now that the news is official? I don't know. Nothing really stands out. I feel like we covered it. I, I just, again, I, it's the more interesting thing to me about this is what happens at Clemson. But as far as Oklahoma, I it's a hire that makes sense in the idea that this is a playbook that they've followed before. Hiring a valued and respected coordinator to come be a head coach. It, it's worked for them time and time again. Think of Bob Stoops when he was the defensive coordinator at Florida before he came to Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley was a great offensive coordinator at ECU. They brought him to run the offense first, and then he got quickly promoted to head coach. And it's going to be interesting to see because I feel like I started covering this sport professionally for CBS in 2010. And I feel like for the first eight years of that, it was always every offseason, like, well, when's Brent Venables going to get a shot to be head coach? And like at some point, you're just like, well, maybe never. So now he's finally getting it. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, if now that he's not just got to worry about the defense at Clemson and he's got a whole other, a lot of things he's got to worry about how he's going to be able to run this program. And also more interesting than anything is how much will the holdback coach get? Yeah, does Smotherman, one. A does big, Smotherman strong one. Yeah. Come with, I think his name's Adam Smotherman. If he gets to come uh, with, with Brent Venables or whether they've got to hire their own, can we get, get back uh, coach tryouts and can we film the get back coach tryouts? Yeah. I want to see what the drills are. What does the get back coach combine look like? These are questions, important questions uh, for if, this offseason. What if that's what you have the walk-ons do? Mm. <laughs> I mean, he was talking about a punishing physicality. He had the real, like, uh, we're going to get you to run through the wall. I mean, I, I think the higher, you know, I talked about continuity yesterday. And, and as I, as I you know, looked at it more today, uh, discussed it a little bit on CBS Sports HQ, it's, it's a hire that says the program is bigger than one man that Oklahoma is a an athletic department that believes its football program did not hinge on Lincoln Riley for its success. We've had success before you, Lincoln. We're going to have success after you, Lincoln. And we're going to bring in someone that knows intimately you know, what success can look like here at Oklahoma. I think Bob Stoops still being around. I think that you know the hire of Brent Venables means that you're not going to fire all the support staff. You know, you're going to have a lot of people in that building that might have been out of a job if you hired a total – give me the keys. I'm going to run everything autocrat. And I think that this is keeping it in the family in a way that's able to keep some consistency on a day-to-day -day basis for a lot of the positions and a lot of the people that we don't talk about or that aren't really seen as often. So that's, that, that's sort of the resounding thought in my head is like, okay, Oklahoma is saying the program is bigger than one man. And now we'll see as Brent Venables takes over, starts to put together his staff and Oklahoma in the recently near future makes its move to the sec which will be a total ideological shift for both program and conference uh as oklahoma and texas arrive i think it'll be uh 
I think it's a good hire. Venables is a really accomplished defensive coordinator. Um, I also like that the reports are out there that he in, is this official yet, or just the reports that he intends that I saw uh, to pair the hire with Jeff Jeff Levy, the, the old Miss offensive coordinator. I heard uh, targeted or like wanted candidates zeroing in on <laughs> zeroing okay. in on. I think that there's a chance that you know Levy could be swayed to stick with Ole Miss or go elsewhere. I don't think it's finalized. Uh, so that shows intent, at least, to go out right. and hire hire a very aggressive, wide open guy, which is what uh, which is what his you know mentor Bob Stoops did uh, with the hire of Mike Leach when when you know Stoops was the defensive coordinator at Florida and he became the Oklahoma head coach. He hired the guy of Kentucky named Mike Leach, uh, who gave him the most trouble when he was the DC there at UF for Steve Spurrier. So I I like that. Uh, I think Brent has a pretty solid tree of guys defensive-wise to bring as assistant coaches. Uh, my question will be, how is he as, as an administrator? How is he when he's running the sh- when when he's running the ship? He's a really good ball coach. Is he head coachy enough to succeed at a job like Oklahoma? We'll have to see. And like, does he lean on Levy if that if Levy's the guy uh, to make the the offensive hires? What does what his offensive coaching tree look like? The one thing with Clemson is that not many guys have been hired away from Clemson, right? Kevin Steele was fired, and that was defense side of the ball, and they didn't overlap. Offensively, Jeff Scott's gone. That's basically it. So, like, who do you go get to be your own line coach? I mean, do, do they get Randy Clements, who was let go by Ole Miss in the offseason? I still don't know exactly what happened there. He's kind of one of those Bryles tree guys. Uh, I'd be interested in who he hires for it. Uh, I'm interested if some of the compliance complaints and whispers that you hear are uh, are true and what kind of assurances he got uh, from Oklahoma about that. And I'll be interested to see how he does. I, I think it's a it's a hire that makes a whole lot of sense for Oklahoma. And kudos to Brent Venables for waiting this thing out and, and finally getting the job. But it's it's pretty clear he wanted. Oh heck yeah! I mean Brent Venables, like you, Tom, you mentioned the uh, the annual offseason tradition. Is this when Brent Venables gets a shot? Like, if you're Brent Venables, would you rather have taken K State like two or three years ago or taken Oklahoma now? Oh, the chat is saying that uh, uh, Bill Biedenbaugh is apparently going to stick at Oklahoma. Ooh, so that's, that's good. Uh, I didn't realize that, and that's that's pretty solid. But Grinch is definitely gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Grinch is. I think if you're Alex Grinch, you don't <clears throat> want to be working under Brent Venables, not for personality conflicts, but because just, you'd like your own autonomy with the defense. Now, other people in the chat are saying, uh, saying Bill may not stay. Other, I think most reports there. We'll see. Has that been announced? He hasn't changed his Twitter profile yet. And obviously, uh, their receivers coach, who is going or likely going to SC, uh, did. Roy Manning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Roy Manning. Um, do you. Do you want to elaborate on the like whispers or like what go like at least like put a little bit more color for the listeners and the viewers on the OU compliance questions yeah. or at least so that I got some topic. DMs about this. Okay. I guess Oklahoma's compliance is either whole or in part run by like an outside law firm and they're like super sticklers about rules that most programs don't care about. Like I guarantee you it's probably not it's, it's these weird interpretations of rules. Like, can you take prospect or pictures of a, of a prospect when he's on campus? Some schools interpret that, apparently Oklahoma being one, that that is uh, the school publicizing the, the recruit's visit, and that's not permissible. Just silly stuff like that. Whereas almost every other school is like, I don't care. Take a kid's picture when he's on campus. It's a public space. 
<laughs> you yeah, know like, what I mean? Get, take the picture, give it to the kid, and if he wants to tweet it out, that, he did it, not us. Yeah, it, it, right. So, uh, l- little things behind the scenes that could be a hassle. You know what I mean? And you're going into the SEC, which is the most cutthroat recruiting league out there. Ask ask Ohio State when Urban came, or ask the rest of the, the Big Ten when Urban came up there, how much they had to adjust to, to that approach. Well, they um, mean the, the gentleman's agreement was. <laughs> I thought the gentleman's agreement goes, isn't that Mike's live? No, no. In the Big Ten, there was a gentleman's agreement between Big Ten coaches that when a kid committed to your school, oh, that the, other big, the other Big Ten schools left him alone. And then Urban came, laughed his ass off, and just recruited anybody he felt like recruiting until he got him. Um, inside the Rebels, our Ole Miss 24-7 sports site uh, is reporting that the uh, levy departure is imminent uh, and that three potential replacements Joe Brady, T. T. Martin, Graham Harrell. Uh, so Ooh, those are um, names. That would be interesting. I I definitely trust those guys that the departure is imminent. Um, that's that's a little bit different system. Obviously, the Brady system is very different to what Ole Miss was running. T. Martin, okay. Uh, Graham Harrell is probably the most similar because he was an air raid guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically Lane's offense, but like they definitely had a whole lot of that Bryles you know, system influence there uh, the last two years. Um, for or anything else on the coaching carousel that that stands out, either with uh, any of the further dominoes or uh, the, the different coaches that maybe might be rumored or reported for some of the open jobs that are left? I just think it would be funny if M- Manny Diaz goes to Temple now. I, I mentioned as much on CBS Sports HQ today. I said, Temple's open. He was the head coach for like, what, two weeks? The return. It was like December 13th intro press conference. December 30th, he resigns and takes mm-hmm. the Miami job. Could be off on my dates, but not by much. Um, Texas Tech hiring Kitley, the Western Kentucky offensive coordinator. I think we touched on this Sunday show or maybe Saturday night show. Because it has to do with Quinn Ewers. It does. Quinn Ewers visiting Texas Tech, potential big NIL deal uh, mashed up there as well. Uh, good for him getting his, his value out of the marketplace already. Um, but Texas also will will be involved in that one. So I'll see how, how that works. But you put Quinn Ewers in that system. Um, Texas going to start the Quinn Ewers Foundation for mullet awareness. They should. <laughs> He's going to like like auction off his uh, um, auction off his mullet, but for profit. <laughs> Texas be like, all right, hundred thousand dollars per inch, baby. Let's go. One of our uh, NFL. Uh, insiders Patrick Walker reported that George Edwards, one of the top defensive assistants for the Cowboys, who was at Duke previously, uh, I believe, might be in the running there. I don't have a, a good sense of how close that job is to being filled, but um, it does seem like anybody who's got the any kind of connection back to the program, that's got to be someone that you target to to be able to come and take over that job. Virginia, Tom, you mentioned Robert and I being in the mix. Uh, Poindexter as well seems to be, you know, former, you know, connection. It's go- if we know what it takes there, I'm going to be a name that you're going to be able to uh, have have the alumni and the the boosters, the fans all gravitate towards. These these seem like sensible hires rather than rolling the dice on trying to uh, to win a uh, win a press conference with a splashy name. So. I'm, We'll see uh, where those end up going. I don't know if you all, you all have any news or thoughts, but I'm just kind of waiting for more of those dominoes to fall at this point. I would think Tony Elliott Duke as well, if he's not going to get the Virginia job. Um, 
just talking to people who know Tony, they really believe that he was going to be focused on like an academic type job. So a there's two like Duke, Northwestern, Stanford, Michigan was mentioned to me. Uh, This is back over the summer when it wasn't clear if Harbaugh would be sticking around. And obviously before Clemson's offense cratered. Uh, So like that, that could make uh, a lot of sense there as well. Do you guys know that Virginia fans were like not happy with Robert and I this year? I got like a DM from a guy who's very sensible, cover three listener, and he's like, I guarantee you that hire will not go over well. You guys just had the best offense in the history of the school. You're fourth in SP plus nationally. Like not and, and you had Armstrong it, miss the game well, against you know, Notre Dame. Let's it, be let's be real. Virginia fans are used to watching their basketball yes, team and they think yes. that's how the game's supposed to be played. It's not pure scoring points goes against the purity yes. of the sport. <laughs> I thought the guy was trolling me, but he was serious. No, like, Tom's is, not you guys wrong. Have no idea how good this There's, is. Listen, there is a a mentality to the basketball school fan who just wants the games to be close, mm-hmm. right? You know, they, they want the defense to play good and the offense to have a chance and to really enjoy tailgating until basketball season starts. I just got what Tom did there. That was a little wine and cheese fancy <laughs> uh, thing, not not a joint. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with like uh wait was it They're doing like Virginia Slims with, with one pinky off, you know. Um that I yeah, I, that's a very very funny joke. I'm glad you made it, Tom. There's they're, they're so dis, they're so disoriented, right? You know, he's just like my was, word, what are these uh, points? <laughs> yeah, when Ed Ogeron uh hired Matt Canada and there was all the shifts and it was like, it's like, Oh, I don't know. Get all dizzy. with all this free snap motion. I don't know where the guys will be lined up. What's going on here. Jet sweep. Oh, no, I need me to run over the middle. Um, okay. So turning our attention to the bowl schedule, we teased it. Tom put in just so much effort into compiling all this information because all of the, you know, college football fans, myself included, was just bombarded with information on Sunday. We had the coaching carousel, the playoff announcement, so many bowl games popping left and right. It can be too much, but uh, when you get a little bit of clarity, you can start to pick out the games. You can start to know when you want to make sure uh, that you are hanging out with all of your friends, football-watching friends, and taking in what are going to be some of the best uh, non-conference matchups that make up the bowl season. Uh, Tom, I guess, like, I mean, you can take it anywhere you uh, you want to go here, but when you started to do it, did you get a sense of whether this was a, I'm sorry for being so general, a good or bad, like, bowl slate? Like, did you find yourself having tough decisions in the top 10, or was there, like, a definite cutoff uh, when you started to feel as though you'd reached uh, the slate of really fun and or interesting games? Well, first of all, I'll start with the caveat that all bowl games are good. So no matter where you're ranked, you're good. But I, I, it was the same process kind of, that I have every single year where it's like, I feel like the bottom 10 and the top 10 were pretty evident to me right away. It was like all the other games in the middle where it was just kind of like nitpicking between, you know, where each goes. But this is a very highly scientific process, I assure you. That is, I'm dead serious. It goes based on my ratings for how the teams have performed this season. I do with my power rankings and how I think the spread will be and what, you know, it's, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes in here where it's like, you know, if a game's going to be, if things are close and I'm looking at one game and there's like a three point spread and another game, there's like a 10 point spread, that three point spread is going to get ranked higher than the 10 point because it's more likely to be a close and entertaining game. So like there is actual thought that went into this. Hell yeah, it's Tom Fernelli. You think that science is going to be totally ignored here? No, I, I know why it takes so long it's because you get like 
you've got like a game score formula mm-hmm. that kind of like looks at the power rating of all these teams. And look, if both the teams are crappy, game score is not going to be as good as if both the teams are good. I, I know that there's a process here. It also takes so long because there are over 10,000 words in it. Oh, yeah. So that's also true. <laughs> and now I'm going to read every single one here on the podcast. <laughs> so I don't know. I could just do like my top 10 and my bottom 10 if you want. All right. Yeah, let's do that. All right, so the top 10 bowls are not going to come as much of a surprise because they're the bigger bowls this year. Uh, Number one, I have the Orange Bowl between Michigan and Georgia. It's a playoff game, and I think it'll be close. Number two, this is a large spread, but I've got Alabama and Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl just because I think the narrative of it and the fact like it's a legitimate David versus Goliath thing. So obviously that should be number two. The number three, the the best highest-ranked non-playoff game for me is the Rose Bowl. It's the Urban Meyer Bowl between Ohio State and Utah. I just, I'm hoping not too many Ohio State players opt out. If they do, maybe this gets kind of sideways, but I just think that this is a really fun matchup of teams. And also, the Rose Bowl is just always fun to watch. Number four, the Peach Bowl, Michigan State versus Pitt, the Pat Narduzzi Bowl. Just that's going to be fun. I, I, I think that is, that's got a chance like to be like the 55 to 52 kind of game that you look for. I mean, hold on before. Can I jump in real quick? Because yeah. that is Michigan state's pass defense against Kenny Pickett. Exactly. Like Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. might throw seven touchdowns in this game. It's and Kenneth Walker could rush for 250 yards. You don't really yeah. know what's going to happen. It's going to be nuts. Uh, number five, another game that could get nuts, but also there's always the question too. And that's another thing that's really difficult when you're trying to put these ranks together, like coaching moves or player moves and all that kind of stuff. But the Sugar Bowl, Baylor versus Ole Miss, that's a game I want to watch. That's going to be an interesting game to me if everybody shows up. And we do know Matt Corral has said he plans to play in the bowl game, so I'm hoping he sticks to that word. Uh, number six, this is a game that has a legitimate shot to be boring as hell. But I still think it also has a chance to be really entertaining. The Fiesta Bowl between Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. Number seven, this one just went straight at my heart. Frisco Bowl. San Diego State versus UTSA. Two things I love together at last. Um, Number eight, the Holiday Bowl between NC State and UCLA. This is like two teams, I feel like, with two quarterbacks who are very good but don't really get a lot of attention. So to see them being able to play against each other will be fun. I hope DTR does play in the game. Maybe he won't. Uh, Number nine, the Gator Bowl, the rematch of the Bilk Bowl, which was 55-52, to Wake Forest versus Texas A&M. Conflicting styles. Maybe this is finally the game. Texas A&M's offense is explosive. Maybe Wake Forest can help them out there. And then at number 10, the cheese it Bowl between Clemson and Iowa State. But this does lose some of its luster because of Brent Venables leaving and all that stuff. But just I have a feeling because the cheese it Bowl is now in Florida, whereas the mm-hmm. old cheese it Bowl was the one in Arizona that had the TCU 10 Cal 7 game that went to overtime. Or maybe it was Cal 10 7. I can't remember who won. I think there was six interceptions in that game. And at one point, like four straight in um, Possessions with interceptions, just legendary stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even though the name migrated, that game could come with it. And there is also, the I consider the fact that a game could be a crap show, and those are fun. <laughs> and then for the bottom 10, I'll go quicker. Uh, number 33, the military bowl between Boston College and East Carolina. Yeah. Uh, 34. <laughs> This uh, this the Civil War of the Carolinas, number thirty four, the Duke's Mail Bowl between North Carolina and South Carolina. I've seen it; it's not really that interesting to me. Nor do Hal I think it's playing. They, they they announced during our show that Hal's going to play. So, 
cool. I'm taking that one. Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like that could very easily be a blowout. So that's kind of why that's where that is. Number 35, the Lending Tree Bowl between Eastern Michigan and Liberty. Sells itself. Very weird opener there, Tom. They open that Liberty 6. So what's it now? Like 10 or 11. Okay, I was going to say, because I think Hugh Freeze is one. Like, Hugh Freeze in, in bowl games is pretty good. They got stopped twice in a row. They got a team they can actually score a pretty good number of points on here. I think. I don't think Liberty's quarterback's going to opt out, right? I don't. I wouldn't I, expect I, it. I, like, I would. He hasn't had put enough on film to think opting out's a good idea. Yeah, I think he has to play well. I think that's the most interesting aspect of the game. Is for a lot of people are going to read about Malik Willis and a lot of mock drafts and stuff over the coming months, and you probably haven't seen him yet. So that's why you might want to watch the Lending Drew Bowl. Maybe that way you could form your own opinion. Um, number thirty-six. This game could be great. Could be terrible. The Bahamas Bowl between Middle Tennessee and Toledo. Middle Tennessee is just a complete chaos team this year, and you never know who's going to show up. If the good version does, this game could be really fun. Same with Toledo. Mm-hmm. Ceiling and floor. Very far <laughs> apart. <laughs> I bet Toledo, too. <laughs> it is, that is a manic-depressive bowl game right there, and it's in the Bahamas. Um, 37, the Pinstripe Bowl between Maryland and Virginia Tech. Is anybody really interested in watching those two teams right now? Like hell, yeah. I thought you were going to have this one last. I mean, every, I think half of Maryland's team has entered the transfer portal in the last week in Virginia Tech. I have a feeling there's going to be a whole lot of don't care in that. They game. already had some opt outs for this game, including a D lineman, <laughs> and I think I thought I saw a DB. Yeah. So, uh, thirty-eight, the Camellia Bowl between Ball State and Georgia State. Maybe it's fun, but I just that's going to be a game. I'm, it's on Christmas Day too in the afternoon, which is like. Hey, honey. Hey, come on. Let's gather the family around the fire and watch the Camellia Bowl. How much home field advantage do you give Georgia State for that one on Christmas Day? I struggle with this. <laughs> but isn't it? In, isn't Camellia in, in Alabama? Montgomery. It's in That's Montgomery. what I'm saying. Yeah, but like, what one team is is much further away from home? I think like, that we're talking friends and family exclusively yeah. for both sides. <laughs> I don't know how many. Like, you think Georgia yeah. State is uh, going to be rolling out a? A big crew beyond students, friends, and family? So I usually use between 1.75 and 2, and in this game I used 0.5 in favor of Georgia State. <laughs> and zero. Like it's more it's more drivable for the families that Georgia State recruits than mm-hmm. it is for the Ball State kids. Sure. Uh, 39, a new bowl that was literally just made out of thin air last week. The Frisco Classic Bowl, not to be confused with the actual Frisco Bowl. Miami, Ohio, in North Texas in a battle of podcast czar Eric Kay's alma mater versus college football editor Ben Kerchival's alma mater. It's a very near and dear game to the hearts of CBSSports.com. And let me commit both of them to a watch party for the Frisco Classic Bowl. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think that we can get that sponsored for sure. At number 40... Based the on the mer- randomness of what gets sponsored and what doesn't, I actually I think you're probably right. <laughs> Number 40, the Myrtle Beach Bowl between Old Dominion and Tulsa. I love the Old Dominion story this year. Don't know how good that game's going to be. From the wind reports, both of these teams are very used to playing in windy conditions. And Myrtle Beach, you know, around December, you, you can get a little bit gusty, especially if that game is played during the day. So I'm, I'm they're both used to the conditions. Mm-hmm. Um Different kind of wind, obviously, with the hum- humid wind would benefit Old Dominion there. But, uh, you know, Tulsa wind still still blows the same. This is drivable for Old Dominion families. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how many people from Tulsa are going to be making the trip to Myrtle Beach, unless it's just a vacation, which is pretty cool. ODU's got to be thrilled to make a bowl. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they didn't even play last year. That's why it's a, it's a good story. Um, 41, the Potato Bowl, Kent State and Wyoming. I think it's a very interesting conflict of styles for sure, just based on the way that Kent State likes to move and how Wyoming would rather just be, you know, sedentary for the most part. Uh, but I also feel like that game could easily get sideways fast. And then number 42, Christmas Eve, 8 p.m. Eastern, the Hawaii Bowl between Hawaii and Memphis. Just Hawaii is the only team with a losing record in a bowl game this year. They are six and seven, and Memphis is not much better at six and six. So, uh, you know, woohoo. Tom, Hawaii's quarterback and running back have already opted out and transferred. Yeah, see, it's you have so, a column up for mm. opted out right yeah, now. Oh, I do. Man. But and then I also have like anticipated opt outs. Like I'll give this to you guys. I bet Houston pretty hard at plus three when that came out. I think Houston should be a favorite based on who I think won't play for Auburn. We'll have to wait and see on that. Also, no injury report on TJ Finley that I've seen. Have you guys? Because that that ankle looked pretty pretty bad at the end of the overtime, which is another reason why you shouldn't try to play for multiple overtimes against Alabama. If you have a hurt quarterback, you should probably just go for it. Uh, anyway, harsh. Good Lord. Uh, but Finley or Bo is not going to be able to play in that game. If Finley can't play, their backup is like a, I think like a walk-on from Bowling Green. I mean, I wouldn't touch. I mean, you know me. I'm on like psychology season, motivation only, and, and touching Auburn in a bowl game. Boom. This year is going to be a risky proposition. I will say, though, it, it, there is danger on the other side, too, because Houston, like if you look at Dana's history in bowl games, he tends to treat them more as preparation for next season than a game that he's really trying to win. Like, I think he's one in eight in bowl games, both straight up and against the spread. And the only one he won was oh, the yeah. Orange Bowl against Clemson. 70. That was the uh, steel breakdown game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That top Brent Venables. Where do you rank? It did. Where do you rank the interim bowl? With Oklahoma against Oregon. The Alamo Bowl. Uh, that was at, I just closed the file, but it was at 21? For narrative purpose, like boosted yeah, like narrative if, purposes? If, if those are two full-strength teams, that's probably going to be in the top 10, but with everything going on with both, like with, yeah, the, the interim bowl, I got it at, yep, 21. Mm. Just, it's, it. So much of the fun got sucked out of that. Did they also... Uh, there's no, like, there's no like tiny little extra intrigue because of the idea of seeing Bob Stoops and like, I don't know, let's say Mike Bellotti, who's already offered to coach uh, that game out there. I mean, I, I, just, put it in, I put it in the top half, Chip. There's some intrigue out there. You know, just yeah. it's like if these two, like, I mean, another thing too is we, we know Spencer Rattler's gone and I don't know how Caleb Williams is going to be affected by Venables, but there's also a chance Caleb Williams is gone for this game too. So it's like then Oklahoma is going to be what throwing out a walk on to play. It's uh, Caleb Williams was at the Venables press conference today, so that is encouraging a good sign at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of a uh, adjustment on the total do you make for two retired defensive coordinators in their late 60s or early 70s? Because that feels like a lot of a lot of field goals, a lot of punts. Uh, Go play some field seven position. or eight points. <laughs> yeah, I, I dropped it too. Uh, but then what it's a bowl game, so like maybe they're gonna just go all out for it. It, it this is why I don't like betting these bowls so much. Like live betting on these bowls are great because sometimes you can tell pretty early, like, uh, oh, they don't care at all. 
Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, jump ahead of the algorithm when you see that the team is uh, completely disinterested in being out there and uh, and trying to play defense. U.S. have Sun Bowl situation where like everybody should have been suspended for missing curfew and yeah, I mean just there's um, what's his link that Coca put in the chat? Oh, nice, Tom. Coca dropped your link in. Oh, to your, to your story in the chat. Thank you, Matthew. Coca. Check out the story at cbsports.com where Tom ranked every single bowl game, some good commentary and analysis for each of those games. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.